Chuck and Julie, bringing you the truth straight up. I'm Julie Hagan. I'm working at- an Emmy-winning former investigative reporter, a highly successful trial attorney, and publisher of a major Denver area newspaper. They've been partners as talk show hosts and in marriage as parents for over 10 years, providing thought-provoking information, opinion, and entertainment live, local, and interactive. Everyone's voice is always welcome on the Chuck and Julie Show. Yes, it's party Friday. (laughs) Chuck Bonnywell, Julie Hayden, Chuck and Julie, two straight up. Grassroots show, That's or right. invert to that to the grassroots show. Two straight. <laughs> right. Either way, it's good. <laughs> That's right. Um, the show is brought to you by Mountain West Wellness, Advanced Acupuncture, and Chinese Medicine. Um, we're going to have as soon as we get him on the phone. Chuck has been thrilled about this. Chuck is a historian. Lord, uh... Lord, Lord Conrad Black, and we've yep. got him. Yeah, um, he's on his new book, The Political and Strategic History of the World, Volume One. Um, he is a former media mogul, um, a historian, author. Sir, thank you much uh, for your time on this Friday afternoon. Thank you for joining us. Well, thanks for inviting me. Oh, we'd love to. I've, I have to say, have you ever paid the parlor game? Who would you like to go to dinner with of, of historical figures? And you always say, well, Napoleon and maybe Orson Welles or... Everyone, if they have one for today, I'd like to go to dinner with Lord Black because he's led an extraordinary life of huge highs, incredible lows, and great resilience. So it's so what a thrill to have you on. Well, yeah, they're like the pleasure is mine, and anytime you want dinner, just just invite me. Oh, okay, go. Well, okay. Go to the spaghetti factory because our tonight. Uh, are you in tonight. Denver? Uh, <laughs> I I don't think I could get there on time. <laughs> yeah, well, well, that's a great place, but we'll, we'll find someplace fancier. No, I, um, I, I know it. It's a lovely city. I've been there, but I, but I, I you know, I'm, I'm in Canada right now. There you go. Well, Chuck, as I mentioned, is is a, not even just a history buff. He's a history expert. And so when I said, oh, my gosh, Sandy is is saying, hey, Lord Conrad Black has a new book out. Chuck is like, book him, book him. So so um, I'll just let Chuck take it away. All right. Well, you've written the history of the world. I guess it's the political and strategic history of the world. Um, tell us how you decided to take on this monumental task, three volumes, which is really very short for a history of the world. And and. Uh, what what why did you decide to do this tremendous task? Well, you see, I started out uh, as a historical writer, uh, writing biographies. Uh, in particular, I mean, if people be familiar to your listeners, uh, uh, President Richard Franklin Nixon. D. Roosevelt and President Nixon and President yeah. Trump, and um, uh, the latter two, uh, I, I knew. You see, Mr. Nixon in his last five years, I've known Mr. Trump for many years, and. Um, and then I wrote a history, but it was a strategic history of the United States, and Henry Kissinger was kind enough to write a foreword for me. And, and so I saw how the idea worked, where you're not purporting to give, you know, the cultural history or the, the, uh, the, the you know, the social history, particularly. Obviously, to a degree, they come into it, but you're essentially describing how the country evolves politically. Then I, I wrote History of Canada. And, and so I thought, because a lot of the research I'd done was in these very, very multi-volume uh, histories compiled by some of the major universities. Uh, Cambridge, for example, Cambridge, yeah, yeah. Well, there's a perfect example. Of Cambridge, ancient, medieval, and modern yeah. histories combined are about thirty volumes and nearly thirty thousand pages. And um, 
so 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 it gives you you know nearly fifteen to twenty million words. Well, I I I've you know I've read a lot of this kind of thing, and I concluded since I'm getting a little older that I wanted to write my sort of magnum opus, my main work. You see, and and I thought you know written on the way I wrote my strategic history of the U.S., so you're not claiming to give every aspect of the country's history. Right. This could be done for the world in in a much, much shorter and, frankly, more readable way than these huge official or official, official, academically right. official histories. So it's a project not just to cover the material, which, of course, is immense, but Present it in a way that's readable and interesting, and doesn't put you to sleep after uh, <laughs> after five pages. And so you're you're really focusing on not you know you're giving a narrative, a chronology, but right. but not right. a laborious one, and focusing on the more colorful and flamboyant and important personalities. And that way, history is made interesting. And, yeah. and I mean, you you can't write about someone like Alexander the Great or Julius Caesar and make it dull. Uh, you know, because you know they're very interesting men, and and so it became a, a challenge of compression without being glib or 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 just too uh, syncopated, and 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 uh, but a challenge of presentation to make it interesting, uh, and and I, I'm if I don't want to be self-serving here, but I'm three quarters of the way through writing the second volume. I'm up to uh, the time of Shakespeare, Queen Elizabeth, and. Uh, I don't, uh, and, I, and I, in my opinion, again, I, I realize I'm a little partial here. It's for the most part a reasonably readable account all the way through, and I am going to get it through it in the whole thing in three volumes. So anyone who buys it, you can read the chapters are on distinct, separate things. So you don't have you can read one chapter even. Part of, part of a chapter because they're all broken up in sections and then put it down again for three years but it's there on your shelf and if you want to look something up without relying on wikipedia which isn't very <laughs> reliable sometimes there it is you see it's all in the index there, well i have picked up your book yeah, and, we, we went and, it the, the day we booked you we bought it so <laughs> uh, and i must admit uh, you know it's a thousand pages long so i haven't made it all the way through um, but uh, but I've enjoyed very much what I've read, and, and certainly um, it's very interesting. And at the beginning, you call, cover the history of the Semitic people, and in particular the Jewish people, and and the Bible and the the Torah, or I guess their you know Genesis, and all the way through. Um, and you know your parents, I understand, were agnostic or atheist, but you're a person of faith. Um, and so, you know, most people you read today are academics and they're all atheists. So it, it is, you know, you, you don't get much of anything else, uh, when they write, but, but yours is, is fascinating and assumes, which I assume that the Bible, uh, was written by people who were trying to tell to the best they could, not that they were perfect or anything. And, and depending upon an oral tradition for, thousand years but it wasn't something just made up during the babylon captivity to make the jews feel good about themselves while they're under slavery of the babylonians but it was no a, uh, no and, and it wasn't a myth-making operation by the no, apostles to no. try and convert yeah. everybody but uh, but I, I i want to emphasize well i i i i do my best to separate lore from uh, from reliable historical fact and it is in that period that you make the crossover from 
uh, uh, stories passed on over the generations uh, to things that there, you know, there's some written evidence of, or you know, some, you know something to go by, and right. and and where where we're in very uncertain ground. I, I say that you know, this has to be yes. read w- with with caution. You know, this sort of thing. But for the mo- most of Jewish history, up 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 until oh God, I don't know. Maybe Hellenistic. About 2000. Um, uh, yeah. They say they've been the, here for 5,700 years, and they have, but, but yeah. the, the, uh, the first half of it is, 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 you can't be sure how much of it happened, you know? Yeah, and, 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 but, but it is, it is an attempt by people, very bright people, based on oral traditions passed down, and that's just like telephone, you know, it, it can get sure. garbled. Yeah. Um, but but they were trying to tell the history of the Jewish people. They weren't trying to make up the history of the Jewish people. And and you can see that important parts of it were almost certainly true. And they, you know, they may, maybe not absolutely exactly true, but they, as you say, they weren't just made up out of whole cloth. They're based right. on something. I mean, Passover is is a celebration be held by Jewish people for thousands of years now. Um, did it come yeah. from nothing? Did they just make it up during the Babylonian period? I don't think so. Um, no, and look, there is some meteorological evidence that at the time of the crossing the Red Sea, yes, you bring uh, the that up, water right. levels were low, and they may have right. been able to wade through part of it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and so they're, t- they're t- attempt to tell a story um, of, of, of their people, or wherever you want to call it, and it's, you know, I mean, there was zero evidence of Solomon and David, and more recently something. There's plenty of evidence of those two. But but, well, there was none when I studied it, except they found an artifact saying House of David. Um, I don't think anybody (laughs) thinks that's made up, but nonetheless, a lot of people think that Moses was made up, and I don't think he was. Was he the Moses of Charlton Heston? No, Um, but did they? (laughs) Or Disney? Or Disney, uh, Prince of? uh, And but but did they? You know, were part of enslaved in in Egypt? Probably a lot of people were during famine years. Did they break right. out? Yes, they probably did. Were there six hundred million of them? No, there's probably a much smaller group. But they, you know, they got to Jericho and 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 invaded Canaanite and, and Philistine lands. Yeah, a, a very brilliant strategic move, moving straight east and then north and then west. <laughs> Get them, the, get them from the I, back. When I said there's proof of Solomon, I didn't mean there was documentary evidence of all of it. What I meant was there's no doubt he existed, and and there there is reasonable agreement on many aspects of his career. I I, I didn't mean to suggest that it's all there to see, like for example, uh, President Eisenhower right. or something. It's something right. like that. Right. Right. We're talking. We've, I've been seeing. Um, uh, sir, we have people join us on Zoom, so I just want to let people know we're talking with Lord Conrad Black about his new book, The Political and Strategic History of the World, Volume 1. I'm curious, so you said, you know, this is a strategic history, a political and strategic history, and it seems you start with religion or the origins of some religion. Is that is that fair? And if so, if it's wrong, correct me, but if it is right, why do you start there? Uh, I'm sorry, I started where? Well, you t- you start talking about to, to to just talk about the political and strategic history of the world. Um, you yeah. know, you don't you you start with some of the early religions, basically, right? No, no, no. no? Okay, no, you're telling it. the story. Uh, correct me if wrong. You're telling the story because the Bible is the one that recites. Well, well that's what I'm saying. Recites. Yeah, I, you see, I'm 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 trying to get civilizations that we have any notion of. I mean, yes. I, 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 we have absolutely no idea, none, what was going on in Japan at that time. You know, I'm talking right. about 
5,000 years ago, and, and, uh, or the middle of Asia, you see, or middle of Africa. But uh, 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 so what I'm doing is I'm starting from the, the origins of history sufficiently reliable that okay. it isn't just made up. And, and we've got three centers, the Middle East, Mesopotamia, and India and China, and that's where I start, and then, and then Egypt right afterwards. And right. Then, it, then we, you know, then it grows and we get into Europe and so on. And, um, and, and I, from then on, I go on the basis of bringing in places as, as the, the places I started with come into contact with them. So I'm, for example, I'm, I'm now writing in the 17th century and I'm starting to refer to Latin America and, and other places right. that have been parts of Africa. And, and, and as, as it goes along, well, there's only one chapter dealing with India and China in, in this volume. There are more in the next volume. And so it, you know, it just becomes a, a larger world from the Western perspective. But I, I, I'm trying to deal with, with those places that had uh, the, the origins of a political society. And, and the strategic part is how they... Uh, I mean, Chuck just described how the Jews moved from Egypt, and in order to regain the so-called promised land, instead of going there in a straight line, they you know they went around and 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 actually approached it from the east, and uh, that's the strategy, you see, by not very primitive, simple aspect. But when you get to Rome, for example, every element of the expansion of Rome had a strategic aspect to it, both why they wanted to do it and how they did it. So that's that's why I, it, it's not to be a, to give it a pretentious or a long title. I'm just trying to be accurate, that's all. <laughs> well, going to one more esoteric one, that'd be probably a dinner conversation. You indicated in your foreword that you think there's an upward tilt to humanity, that, that our political systems are better, we're more humane, more logical. I must admit, yeah. I have not found that to be the truth. I disagree with you. This is so Julie agrees with you. Going debate between Julie us. agrees with you. So why don't you bolster my case? <laughs> why, why do you think that? Well, because um, in the earlier chapters there, uh, the, it, it, basically foreign relations consisted of uh, w one group thinking that it's stronger than the neighboring group and attacking it for no reason at all. There's no, uh, as we would say now, a cause of war. It's just, you know, we think we can take over their country and plunder them, so let's do it. And um, it, it, that, you know, you may well say that's what's going on in the Ukraine right now. But, but Yes, that's exactly what's I, going on. NATO decided I, I'm not, I, it wants to dissolve Russia. I'm not saying it's it's not happening. What I'm saying is that it, 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 gradually we have developed this more civilized way of dealing between groups of people. And um, I mean, just let, take the one volume that's out there that you and I'm very impressed that you've read as much in it as you have. I mean, as you know, I'm having a lot of discussions with people like this and in the in around the United States and Canada. And I don't think anyone has read as much of it as you apparently have. But uh, <laughs> from from those early Mesopotamian tribes, 
where when one side lost, they just massacred the losers. And, you know, there was one, you might have seen that one case where somebody got so angry at the person he defeated that he um, tortured him, decapitated him, stuck his head in a tree, and ultimately took the skull down and urinated on it. Now, you oh. know, I, 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 things like that really don't happen now, or not, not well, I don't you, think you, they, you, you, you think... You think the Palestinians got a hold of Netanyahu today? His head wouldn't be up on a tree and them urinating him? How did how did Gaddafi die? He didn't die exactly a nice death. No, no, no. I I I, I believe me, I'm not suggesting we've gone to we've transformed ourselves into angels or anything. I I'm just saying that I I I standards of civility have improved and in part, in large part, they have improved because of the introduction of religious thinking to the to, 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 tending to the view uh, that, that the human life does have some dignity and deserves to be treated with some dignity but my, my point is that uh, that's how things were at the beginning of this book uh, but at the end of it uh, augustus's empire just you know the last days prior to the beginning of the Christian era and up to 14 AD when the emperor when he died. died. Yeah, they, I, I mean, you, you could frankly get a letter from Rome to to what is now Istanbul in about the same time it would get there today, unless you had it couriered. And um, obviously they didn't have emails and everything, but you could go from Portugal to Iraq on fine Roman roads without any fear of being uh, robbed or beaten up or anything, and uh, this this was remarkable progress uh, in, in in the period I'm covering here. Because, well, well let, me, let me give you a contrary. That's Pax Romana, the area of Pax Romana under under Caesar Augustus. Um, well, the just... real Pax Romana was you know with uh, uh, Trajan and Hadrian and Marcus. Well, Arrasen, maybe a little farther, but still the, the period. century. But you're right, yeah. It was, yeah, a, it, it, it was the Pax Augusta was called, but you're right; it's the same point. Yeah, yeah. and and they got that by by similar to what they did in in uh, what is now Israel um, by slaughtering the entire population and kicking them all out in 70 A.D. and again in 130 A.D. They just obliterated the place, and they were famous for that. They, they, everybody uh, they, was. They, you're, you're slightly overstating it, Chuck. I, oh, I, there I, were I, many. I, I, there were many people left in in good old Israel by the time the Romans finished them off. Like the Romans were, in fact, for the most part, quite generous to Israel until that uprising in the time of uh, uh, Vespasian, and it was his son Titus that that really got into the rough stuff because the Romans felt they'd made a deal. With, with the Jews and and the Jews double crossed them in effect. Now, the, well, you know, Josephus survived and gives a comparatively pro-Roman version of it, but it is a little more complicated than what you just said. Well, I don't, and I don't doubt. And, the, all, and you know, between the that, two, look, great, the decline the in the Jewish population wasn't due to the Romans; it was due to the Jews becoming Christians. <laughs> well, the the the, the Romans. Uh, didn't have a nice ending for the Carthaginians either. I mean, you know, that sowing was the salt was that, salt. That was outrageous. I agree with you. <laughs> I, I mean, I blame the Carthaginians for starting the Punic Wars, but 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 the the, the Third Punic War 
And this is why, I, incidentally, I've never supported the Cato Institute, because Cato oh. the Elder was the author of the Third Punic War, yes. and they had yes. no reason at all to destroy Carthage. And yes. Julius yes. Caesar promised to rebuild Carthage, by the way. And and one, one other thing... Well, his famous phrase, uh, Carthage must it, be destroyed. That's what he, that was, that that was Cato, yeah. And why should yeah. it be destroyed? There's no reason for it. Uh, but but the, the I, I, I should mention this. Julius Caesar was generous to the Jews in Rome and in Israel. And when he died, as I as I point out in that book, the Jews came out in, in great numbers to his funeral and chanted the Kadesh at his funeral. So it, it, it wouldn't be fair to say the Romans were altogether hostile to the Jews. Well, they certainly were after the revolts in Alexandria they and Crete and elsewhere, the where they killed lots of Romans and Greeks. They weren't too the loving of them after that. Be philosophical about people rebelling against them. I agree with that. But on the other hand, the way they held that empire for so long was they reduced taxes, they reduced violence and crime, they made all the Mediterranean and, and the east as far as Iraq and south to Ethiopia and north to Scotland, all of it a common market. They spread prosperity, and, and the talented people all around the empire, they put in the Roman Senate. Now, that was a long way forward, Chuck, in political science, as we're talking here, a long way forward from people decapitating their opponents and urinating on their skulls. Well, there was more. You, 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 wait a minute, you can take, this is too much fun for me. Well, uh, you can take Athens and, and say that they also did wonderful things and awful things, and I mean, anybody. Oh, I, and I do say, say that. Yes. I yeah, do and, 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 you know, any place that has their gets their, their grins uh, from the Colosseum is kind of a bloodthirsty society. Yeah, that was, a, I agree, that was terrible. Uh, uh, there were, uh, look, even the Spartacus's revolt, uh, yeah, which, of course, yeah. was l ludicrously misrepresented in that movie, but on the other hand, um, uh, who do they have? Uh, uh, Peter Ustinov and uh, you know, a number of famous actors. They, they portrayed the individuals very well, I thought. But but at the end of that, Bert Lancaster was the one who put it down, and he crucified thousands of people. Yes, he did all along, along the road. You know, to I, Rome. I, I, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying Rome was a civilized paradise. I'm saying it was <laughs> it was a great deal more civilized and well organized than than the tribes of Mesopotamia in 3000 BC. And let me let me ask you this because I'm not the historian Chuck is, but it, it's always struck me as curious that you said well not slow her down though. no but it it they created you know like you said this giant marketplace how did they do that I mean if you were just the because we we see and read so much about the the prominent figures but like if you were just like a regular person you know and I think it must not have been very great being a regular person back then how did the people who were in power get them to go along with these wars or to I mean what did they get out of this you know sort of at that time the world marketplace what was it like for just the regular person well do you mean anywhere around the Roman Empire yeah well look it was an improvement in this respect what what was there before the Romans took it all over you know, you didn't have a common market. There was trading, but not not you know. There, there were trading under certain conditions where you had to you know pay the equivalent of tariffs and uh, uh, what amounted to bribes to the people transporting in in a way that was exploitive. 
and uh, you were subject to being invaded by your neighbors at any point. Taxes were higher than under the Romans, and crime rates were higher. Uh, so it, 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 these people, all, for the most part, resisted the Romans. Take the Caesar's War in, in, in Gaul, what's now France. Yeah. It went on for 10 years, and it was roughed yeah. up. But Caesar suppressed that whole country, which was right. as, big, as big a population as Italy, and fierce people. Uh, and and but within fifty years you couldn't chase the Gauls out of the Roman Empire. The Romans lent them Roman sophistication, uh, uh, virtually eliminated the crime rate, uh, and and reduced taxes, codified the law so there was some consistency to it all. And, and the senior Gauls they put in the Roman Senate and made people of great influence throughout the known world. So I mean it was actually and I mean, in fairness to Rome, it did improve the quality of life of all the places that took over. I mean, Spain was just a slave state run by the Carthaginians to pay for their military campaigns, to pay for the mercenaries. The Carthaginians didn't fight their own battles. They provided the generals, but not the soldiers. And and um, Well, they took France, but Germany was a different deal. Uh, it was a different deal. It was harder to get out. It's too much for us. No, but my, I just want to finish my point. I mean, the Spanish and the French, in the end, were grateful for the Romans, even though they fought tooth and nail against them at the beginning. What, what, what was it then about the Romans that made it be like that? I mean, what was it a person? Was it an event? Was it or was it a combination? Well, they, they had a technique, as I say, they would they would pacify the place. And as Chuck says, like, I mean, let's not kid ourselves. The Roman army was pretty rough stuff at times you know they weren't they, they, they it wasn't a boy scout troop you know a roman legion <laughs> was a rough tough elite military unit and 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 they if, if they had any problem with civil populations they tended to be harsh there's no doubt of that <laughs> but, yeah uh, they killed them all yeah well, I, yeah well sometimes they did yeah sure sometimes not all the time but sometimes but but um but once installed they emphasized public works. They built roads. They built, you know, amphitheaters and things and, and aqueducts so you could move drinking water around and move sewage out better. I mean, they were very advanced. Now, some of those aqueducts they built were wonders of the world at yeah, times. Still they there. They went for uh, 200 miles and things. But uh, so so they they modernized it in infrastructure terms, improved standards of education, Lowered taxation, regularized the law, and and the, the person from Gaul could go anywhere in the known world freely, uh, no one to stop him. And uh, I mean, as long as you know he was going for a legitimate reason, you know, and and you know they could buy all sorts of things that came ultimately from China and India that they weren't getting before, and then they really, you know, the distinguished leaders in Spain or Gaul. Um, you know, became figures in the Roman Empire. I mean, Trajan and Hadrian were Spaniards. You know, they weren't Romans. They so weren't Galba. So was Galba. Yeah, 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 no, sure. I mean, but they, I mean, these. Do you think you, Trajan or Hadrian? They were just the second century. Do you think they would have had any such positions as they did if the Romans hadn't taken Spain over? Huh. Of course not. Uh, well, let me ask you then, going forward to, we, to modern times. Yeah, because we only have three minutes left. Well, <laughs> we're going to have to continue this for two days. No. Um, uh, you uh, know, I'd be if, happy to come on again, you know. Oh, we'd yeah, love yes, to have you have again. We'd love to have you again. Uh, the, you know, if you look at modern times and see how civilized and wonderful we've gotten, you know, and then you kind of go, oh, yeah, the Holocaust. Yeah, now I remember. Yeah. 
Oh, Nagasaki, Hiroshima. Oh, yeah. Well, Those were, oh, well, you know, mistakes were made. <laughs> Look, they, they uh, Chuck, no matter how familiar anyone is with it, it is almost impossible to believe that the culture of Goethe and Beethoven could yes. do what it did under the Third yes. Reich. It, it is yes. almost impossible to believe it. Yeah. Uh, and and um, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, you know, I, I, war is war. And as Mr. Truman said, the Japanese should have thought of that before they attacked Pearl Harbor. But, <laughs> you know, they did warn them. They warned them after at the Potsdam Conference. We have a weapon of undreamed of uh, destructiveness. Uh, and and you're going, we're going to use it on you if you don't. Yeah, well, it's an awful lot of women it. and children and innocent people. Chuck, please, I will not be portrayed <laughs> as some naive halfwit who thinks the world is full of saintly people who do nothing but nice things. All I'm saying is, that on balance, it's a good deal less barbarous now than it was three thousand years ago. Now, the flip side, and you 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 touched on it, is. The, the sophistication of our weapons has gone up so much. I mean, Mr. Yeah. Churchill's phrase, uh, the Nazi, the long night of Nazi barbarism made more sinister and more protracted by the light of perverted science. I mean, in 3,000 years ago, you couldn't murder 12 million people as quickly as the Germans did, or 200,000 people in one minute. As they, as Although they the Mongols did a pretty good job. They, they had, they were, they, Tamerlane they, had they a great were death really job. nasty. Uh, look, yeah. the Mongols and yeah. Tamerlane, they made the Romans look like a, a, you know, a bunch <laughs> of Sunday school teachers. <laughs> uh, so you have been one. We will. You, 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 well, you please come you, back. Please, you have your wonderful talking to you. It wonderful. Was, and yeah, I want to tell first, I've enjoyed it. Oh, well, and I want to tell people the political and strategic history of the world, Volume One. We know you can get it on Amazon because that's where we got it. And and imagine, sir, it's all over the place, right? Should be now. Yeah. yeah. All right. We will for sure book you back. Thank you so Thanks much. Thanks so much for coming on. We appreciate and it. Thank, thank you for having me. I've enjoyed it. All right, okay. thank you. Thank you. And guys, we had so many comments here. Um, and so thank you to everybody. We don't have time to read them, oh, all. read them all. Go ahead. Okay, well, we can read some. But well, I want to let folks know everybody loved him. So we will definitely have him back. And Chuck was like thrilled. Um, and I haven't been able to use my Kindle because Chuck keeps yeah, yeah, keeps, keeps taking it. Read, read a few. We have, okay, but I want to let folks know because I think she, Thomas, just let me know when she calls in. We're going to be we're switching gears. Obviously, Mallory Rechtenbach with the Alliance Defending Freedom. I don't know if you guys have heard about the case out of Jefferson County where fifth graders were on a school trip and, you know, they assigned the kids to rooms and there were four girls to a room. And this one poor fifth grade girl. We'll get to that. When she comes. Well, I'm just letting people know she's coming on, was assigned to sleep with a with person she was sharing a bed with, said, oh, by the way, I'm a boy. And so the school district's reaction was to tell her to shut up, to tell her not to tell her parents. And so the Alliance Def Defending Freedom is jumping in. Yeah, for them. All right. So we're getting all this. Let's see. Oh, there's too many here. Um, let's see. Um, from Charlene, Western homogeny resorts to brutality, very uncivilized throughout the world to retain power. Um, Thomas, our producer, says peace through copious amounts of murder. That's <laughs> true. Um, from Jacob, before the Great Flood, the axis of the earth was 90 degrees, and thereafter all the days were 
even half night and half dark and only one season spring. Farmers only plowed their field once in 40 years. And as uh, as they say, still hands bring corruption. After the flood, the earth is now in a 28% tilt and there are four seasons and one landmass became many continents. We believe that one day all of the continents will become one landmass and our Jewish Messiah will come. There is evidence the continents are coming together, although slowly. Uh, also, there's evidence they're splitting up. Also, too, isn't there? Yeah. I, I mean, it so goes. Um, let's see. From um, Charlene, Jesus prophesied the fall of Israel in seventy A.D. Um, and then J- uh, Thomas is again saying, as, as long as the ruling emperor was sane, that is a good point. They did have some kind of nut dots, yes. didn't they? And and, that, uh, and until he was overthrown by the um, by the lieutenant or by his military. Um, from Charlene. Romans sided with the Jews against Jesus. He must have been a real threat to both of them. He was a prince of peace. Tyrannical power cannot survive peace. Um, then they're talking about lamb masses. That's, people are like, we can't wait to bring the guests back. Thomas is talking about the aqueducts at, Byzant- at Byzantium that still exist today are works of wonder. Um, and from Leo, does anyone think modern high school grads could make Roman aqueducts or roads? <laughs> no, after 12 years of school, that's crazy. Um, and now we have Mallory Reckenbach. All right. so, Mallory, we just had a great guest on. He was talking about history, but I'm so thrilled to have you um, with the Alliance Defending Freedom. And I was talking about the Jefferson County case that you guys were involved in. And I can tell you, as the mother of a seventh grader who's been on some of these school field trips, it is appalling to me to think that you have school districts that say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm a boy, but I, I, I dress as a girl, so I'm going to be sleeping with you now. And the school district says, hey, don't tell your parents. I am so glad you guys have gotten involved. So first off, thank you for your time on this after Friday afternoon. Well, thank you so much for having me on. Let me kind of have you start off. Why don't you explain, because you've gotten involved in a couple of different ways, or there have been a couple of different letters. Why don't you sort of explain what happened first, what you did, and then what's the latest development? Absolutely. So the Wales family lives in Jefferson County, and their children have attended Jefferson County schools. This past uh, summer, their daughter, who was 11 years old at the time in fifth grade, went on the Jefferson County, Washington, D.C., Philadelphia trip. They had been preparing for the trip for 18 months, and she had done lemonade stands and raised money and was so excited to have this um, first really big trip for, uh, for a child her age. And before the trip, uh, Jefferson County assigned her to stay in a room with three other children. And then the children decided which beds they were going to stay in. There were two beds, so two kids per bed. And then she gets on the trip. And on the first evening of the trip, one of the other children, the, the child who she was supposed to stay in a bed with that night, revealed that this child was, in fact, a boy who identified as transgender. The Wales's daughter was understandably concerned about this and uncomfortable and um, kind of snuck away to the bathroom and in, you know, almost in tears, calls her parents and says, what do I do? I'm really uncomfortable. I, I can't sleep in, in a bed with a boy. And um, so eventually, after multiple requests, the, uh, the teachers on the trip were able to move her to a different room. And they were just trying to do the best they could, but they were put in a really difficult situation, too, because the policy of Jefferson County says that children should be roomed according to gender identity rather than sex. But the problem is parents are not told this before trips. 
in fact, um, Mr. and Mrs. Wales were told that girls would be on one floor and boys would be on another floor. And then they get on the trip and find out, well, that's not the case for um, the roommate of, of their daughter. Well, so and we're, we, and then, um, we've gotten involved. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. So you guys got involved then. Okay. Yeah. So we, we've gotten involved and we sent a letter to Jefferson County and back in December. And we're requesting something really, really simple. We're not even requesting that they completely get rid of their policy. We're requesting an opt out for parents like Serena and Joe Wales who simply want to say, no, we do not feel comfortable having our daughter stay in the same room or the same bed with a boy who identifies as transgender. And that could, this could be done in a completely confidential way on the forms that you fill out right. as parents before the trip where you, you just check a box and you say, right. no, I would like to opt out. Right. Right. Well, and then and then you had and then I think after you did this, am I right in that that other parents have come forward with complaints and issues, too? So you've sent a second letter. Yes, that's correct. After we sent our first letter, we really received um, we were kind of inundated with a lot of other parents from your community saying, wait a minute, this happened to me, too. And the biggest one we heard about was Outdoor Lab, where um sixth grade students go, you know, and stay in the mountains. And it's this great experience for a lot of kids, but the kids don't have any way to reach their parents. There's no phones. There are no parents on the trip. The kids are all on their own. And this exact same situation has happened at Outdoor Lab where kids of different sexes, sixth graders are put in the same cabin. But even more concerning than that, we found one situation where an 18-year-old high school counselor of one sex was put in a cabin with sixth graders of the opposite sex. Wow. So not only do you have different sexes, but you have a pretty significant age difference of different right. sexes. Well, and you know, and I can relate to that because our son, we have a, he's in seventh grade now, but last year was in sixth grade and it was, it was outdoor ed. And I can, I just feel for this girl because for, for these kids, it was sixth grade. This was a huge deal, right? They had meetings with yeah. parents, they had all kinds of stuff explaining what we should or shouldn't bring. And this is, you know, from a lot of kids, including our son, it was their first trip really away from their parents, right. maybe you sleep, but I mean, this is a big deal. And I tell you, he was nervous. The other kids were nervous. All the parents talked about it a lot. It never occurred right. to me that he might, I mean, I can tell you it would have been dev because you're right. They don't have phones. They can't get hold of you. Right. It would have been devastating right. to him and the other kids. And at sixth grade, that's such a confusing time for kids anyway. Mm -hmm. um, and to find out that all of a sudden, well, it would not have been a devastating thing for if I was a sixth grade boy back in the age. <laughs> but I mean, it would not have been devastating. Again, it's, but I mean, it would be such a socially awkward situation. Well, yeah. That you just wouldn't know what to, I mean, it just, it breaks my heart to think of this poor little girl in the bathroom Argue. crying because of some stupid policy. I, I mean, I, it's just outrageous. And I'm so glad you guys are getting involved because. Well, your, your demands are so de minimis. Some people. Why, why have they not just said, sure. Honestly, I'm not sure. Um, we were really hopeful to be able to work with them. And we think it's such an easy fix that, you know, if they want to have this policy, that's okay. But they have to allow parents who don't agree with this policy, specifically parents who don't agree with it on religious grounds, to be able to opt out. And they have the right, the constitutional right, to direct the upbringing and education of their children. Right. And that includes 
dealing with the privacy of your child and making sure that the privacy of all children are respected. And that's what we think. We think the privacy of all children should be respected and all children should be comfortable on school sponsored trips. So well, how long ago was it you sent the letters? How long ago was it you sent we the letters? We the first one at the beginning of December, and then the second letter, the follow-up letter, was about a week ago. So we're hoping for a response by the end of January um, to our second letter. And we've, we've just clarified our, our demands and also said, look, we've realized that this is not an isolated incident, unfortunately, and that this is happening across the district. And a lot of parents are very concerned about it. So we're really hopeful that um, Jefferson County will agree to an opt-out and will agree to work with it, its parents. Well, and you know, and in particular, as you said, as a parent, I would be horrified because they do have older counselors there, right? Some of them who work, I think it's camp, right. the right. one, my son went to Idra Haji, right? And that was lovely. He had a wonderful experience, right? Um, but if you have then a transgender camp counselor who is a boy, right. a man, right? A, a man, not a boy, a man, then saying, well, I identify as a woman. So now he gets to sleep with a bunch of sixth grade girls. That in itself is, a, I mean, yeah. they're going to destroy the whole thing for everybody, right? I mean, they're going to take this outrageous right. agenda that, that I, I mean, and, and that's not even get into the fact that, oh, perhaps somebody could just take advantage of that, right? I mean, yeah. if somebody was, you know, mm-hmm. so predisposed, um, it's just, I, it's insanity. I mean, I can't even believe that you're having a discussion. You, you know what I mean? That the school district just didn't just say, yeah, that's a good idea. Well, but- it, it is such a de minimis demand. I mean, it's just, it's just insane that they haven't said sure. Um, and, and it's pathetic. It really I mean, is. And we've, we've tried hard. We've tried hard to be reasonable. You know, we're not asking for a lot here. We're really just asking for a simple opt out. And, and again, you can do it in a way that isn't revealing private information about any child in the district, but it's a way that gives all children privacy. So if, if another family says, look, my child identifies as transgender and I would like them to stay in this room, okay, that's fine. But then you have to let other parents who are uncomfortable with that say, no, I'm not going to allow my my child to stay there. And we've had a lot of calls of parents saying, you know, my child's supposed to go to outdoor lab this month. What do I do? Right. And right. they're put in a really difficult position. Well, and again, and, you know, we're talking about the parents, but I just go back to, you know, these kids last year with, and, and my son and how nervous and anxious and yet excited he was. Mm-hmm. And it's not just parents being uncomfortable. This is parents being able to look after their children. This is a parental yeah. right. It's a parental responsibility. If parents you, have rights. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that's what it's about, right? It's not about the parents' political agenda or political belief. Right? It's about making these fifth grade, these 11 and 12 year old kids feel comfortable and and having an exciting learning experience and not this traumatic thing. So who, who came up with the policy? The the board of, of Jefferson yeah. County? Was it administrators that decided to come up? Who who implemented their policy that your gender, you, know, you get to go wherever you're kind of feeling your gender is today? It was, it was Jefferson County. Um, it's the board. The policy has actually been there since 2013, um, wow. amazingly. And wow. most of the parents we've talked to said they had no idea that this policy was there. And it's not something that I think any parent would normally go look for. 
And it's not labeled in a way that says, you know, this is on rooming. It's a policy dealing with transgender students. So you would have to read down into the policy to find where it says, oh, no, we're talking about rooming students as well in this policy. And so that's another reason why it's important for this opt-out to be on the paperwork, either before a trip or at the beginning of the school year when you're registering for the school year, um, so that parents are not only aware that this policy is there and that it's an option for their child to be placed with a child of the opposite sex in the same room or even in the same bed, but that they have the opportunity to opt out prior to the trip so that future kids aren't in the same predicament that the Wales's daughter was when she's hiding in the bathroom, you know, upset and uncomfortable and nervous and yes. kind of having a really important moment ruined. But- would you, would you, would you, let's, let's assume the absurd is that they don't give away to your reasonable uh, demands. Uh-huh. Uh, would you bring in state or federal court? Well, we, I mean, we would have to evaluate based on what their response is um, and kind of decide the next step. But we've got a lot of families who are saying, you know, we, we won't rest until we know that we can direct the upbringing of our kids and we can direct their, their education and that we can ensure that they have privacy at school trips. Now, well, you if have- you bring it by state law, there's not a single active judge who's not appointed by Democrats and most of them and a lot of them Uh in recent years are very far left in federal court you know you at least have a chance you have a chance of of a not psycho judge what about is this just Jefferson County or because I know we're in a different school district but do all school districts have this policy have you guys gotten any information on that yeah good point It's not all school districts, but there are a lot of school districts that do, in fact, have this policy. So if you are in a different school district, I really encourage parents to not only go and read the policies, but before trips specifically ask, you know, how do you handle students who identify as transgender? Could they be placed in the same room as um, a child of the opposite sex? These are questions that that now, unfortunately, parents have to be really proactive about and that they have to ask in the informational trip um, meetings prior to trips when normally I don't think parents would probably think to ask these questions. You would, I mean, you know, when we had, like I said, with our son, because it, it, it started at the end of fifth grade, they started preparing. I mean, I don't know how many meetings we went to, right? And how many lists of like what kind of, you know, like bug spray you could or couldn't bring and what kind of snacks right. you could and couldn't bring. And they had a great deal of discussion about the sleeping arrangements because, yeah, I mean, that's what kids are, you know, I mean, it's they're like, bring a pillow, bring this. And, you but know, we're in Adams County and, Adams County. and they they yeah. certainly do the pronouns. You know, the girls get, my son uh-huh. says it's only the girls, but, you know, they're changing their pronouns every few days. But it is interesting, though, but my point there was kind of that the school district, I'm sure they had probably similar meetings about bug spray and snacks mm-hmm. and things like that. You'd think yeah. that at some point they could mention, oh, and because and you could opt out of certain things. You'd think that, you know, they wanted to know what are their meal preferences, et cetera, et cetera. You'd think at some point in there they could say, oh, yeah, and by the way, do you want your daughter to share a bed with a biological boy, right? I mean, it's just, and the fact that they didn't to me is outrageous. Well, specifically when they're also telling parents, no, girls will be on one floor, boys will be on another, or girls will be in one cabin, boys will be on another. So, you know, they're they're not 
giving all of the information. They're not giving the full picture to parents about all of the opportunities and options that that they have when placing your child with a, a roommate underneath their own policy. Have you thought about bringing criminal charges against the Jefferson County individuals? No. What would it be? Well, we don't really do criminal. So well, you could. You could <laughs> hire somebody. Constitutional. I got, lo- I got lots of good criminal lawyers that would be happy to help you. What would you. the charge be, though? Oh, you know, endangering, endangering oh, child. Yeah, something like that. That's there's, true. Lots of, there's lots of laws out there that would normally cover something like this, and I think it would be a lot better. It would increase the likelihood that they would uh, <laughs> uh, um, acknowledge your one, saying, oh, we've just brought on... Uh, Harvey Steinberg, and he's gonna <laughs> he's gonna appraise us whether we should go to the criminal authorities. You have better chance in the judicial authorities. To Mallory, to me, the other thing here too is this is in its own way also equally unfair. I think to the student who identified as a girl because this kid has now been placed because of stupid adult policies, right? In a, in a weird situation also, right? Um, because you know how, God knows, fifth and sixth graders, like, you know, gossip, right? And so it, it put everybody in a bad situation. And well, not everybody, every kid. And I think the fact that these Adults with their radical agendas um, say, you know, parents have no rights when parents are simply trying to protect and make their kids feel safe and comfortable. And it should be a pretty exciting experience. It's that's just sick on the part of adults, I think. So who do you address it to the head of the superintendent of schools to the board? Both. Both. Yes, we we sent the letter to the superintendent and the the entire board. Mm hmm. Okay. Well, so Mallory, I guess what cup just a couple we only have a couple of minutes here. So what are next steps? You're just waiting to hear from them? Yes, we're waiting to hear from them. Um they've said that they will respond by the end of the month and you know, we're still we're still really hopeful that they would they would work with us. Um if they if they still though after our second letter refuse to um, to provide an opt out for parents, then we're going to have to talk to our clients and talk to some of the other um parents that we've spoken to in the district and decide on on the next step all right well listen thank you for your thank time you very much thank you for thank what you that's right Great. thank you so much all right thank you very much mallory all right with alliance defending freedom and we'll keep you posted on what they do um, and Leo says another good guest. Thank you. Yeah, she was great. And from Sandra, you're right. Sandra and kids should not have to worry about this BS at all. Um, Dr. Donna says this is also a federal offense. Yeah, curious as to why parents still have their children in public schools. It does. I mean, it, may, it didn't even occur to me when Rev was going on his thing. Well, he actually, because they, they, they said boys will be in the boy cab and girls will be in the girl cab. And you didn't say. Boy you know, girls will be in the boy girl cab. Right. It, it's just crazy. Um, on Monday, Tom boys will be in either. Yeah, on Monday we're going to have Robert Spencer on. Um, yeah, we yeah, love yeah. Robert Spencer we to talk Robert about Spencer. the the German farmer protest, which is now it's it's the France farmer protest. It's the everybody farmer, farmer protest. Yeah, everybody's there too. And also, I don't know if you guys have been following this. Remember the January sixth pipe bomb that was found there? A lot of it, it appears good stuff there. Good stuff there. Um, this is um, Tucker Carlson did a show on it. The revolver news has done it too. It appears that the federal government actually planted it and was going to use it as a backup in case their fed erection didn't occur too. So a lot to talk about on Monday. In the meantime, thank you to Lord Conrad Black. Oh, it was great. Yeah. And Sean's going to be fighting this Saturday. 
in the in the uh, mixed martial arts uh, two ninety seven one. So oh, he's a guy that called out the Canadian reporter. Mm-hmm. All right, yes, okay, that'll do it for us. Thank you to everybody. thank you everybody, everybody on Zoom. Thank you to the great guys at BBS Radio. It is now time for a party Friday. Yahoo!